Hello and welcome back to Hero with a Thousand Potions, a gaming podcast where two game likers, Tyler and Nate, I'm Tyler. And I'm Nate. We're here to examine the storytelling and gameplay of RPGs in a book club format. Of course, this is season two. We're covering Final Fantasy VII Remake and the equivalent content of the original release. And uh, we're starting chapter three today. Very exciting. Yeah, it's it's a pretty relaxed chapter in theory, but there's some cool stuff that happens and definitely some things to chat about. But... We took a little bit of a break, as we do often on this podcast because of life. So, Tyler, what have you been up to? Oh, my gosh. Well, I went to New Orleans for four for five days uh, a couple weeks ago. Really nice to check that out. I was there for, for business, but I brought my wife along with me anyways. Got to check out the French Quarter, spent a lot of time down there. Ghost tour, cemetery tour, checked out a lot of really neat attractions and ate, ate at a lot of great restaurants, learned how to cook some Creole and... And Cajun cuisine at the New Orleans School of Cooking was a very, very good time. Also, other things I've been up to is I've converted a corner of my basement into a recording studio. If, you, if you're if you in our Discord, you've already seen that we, I've got this little nook sorted out where I've got these black and purple foam, uh, a matrix of foam panels on the wall. I've moved my whole station into this area. It's curtained off in these thick black insulating curtains. Um, it's It feels much more like a, a mini podcasting or even recording studio i guess you could even you know squeeze a squeeze a microphone up against a, an amp here and like you know play guitar into it and record something in a, in a in a tightly controlled acoustically controlled environment um and this is my first time using it so i'm 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 in this new station it's nice it feels special um feel, feeling more like a a uh, a conventional podcaster rather than uh, some some dope in a corner of his uh, dusty basement otherwise yeah i've often joked about how i am quarantined into the nato gaming bunker here mm. because i have everything shoved into the corner of a small room for this house i'm living on on a military base so i'm glad you've join the club of having a you play on your steam deck a lot so it's not necessarily your gaming nook but you you do have a nook now like i do for me it's definitely my gaming nook i've moved everything here now that my wife is deployed mm-hmm. there's no really there's no need to have the ps5 in the living room per se because obviously my kid ain't playing it nate uh you got some uh technological advancements going on at the nato compound i hear long story short i was like you know i i managed to square away some extra cash with this truck sale and by haggling everybody i i've earned a little bit of an upgrade here so we have a brand new pc with pretty much all the top of line stuff that i could think to get for it and i'm excited to get into it there's that process of reloading everything under the new pc that i'm currently working through but we'll get there we'll start diving into it's been a while since i've posted anything on youtube and uh since i've edited any podcast episodes or anything like that just because i knew i was grinding or i knew i was spinning my tires on some of that i was like all right let's just get the new pc and once it's ready i'll hit the ground running again awesome shall we hit the ground running on chapter three yes um yeah so uh chapter three we arrive in the sector seven slums train station train platform Mm -hmm. how are you feeling how am I feeling? Good, good. Of course, I played both 
component content uh, between remake and original. I'm going to talk about original first because I learned something pretty interesting, or maybe I did know it, you know, years and years ago, but we, we get off the train in Avalanche. They say, you know, we'll part ways. Let's check in again at the HQ and they run off. And then when you take control of cloud again, I was kind of poking around in the train station. If you go to the right, you can access the north end of the train graveyard and actually get into random battles there too. Did you know that? Yes, I did. I was actually, when I was streaming this section, I uh, made a little bit of a proclamation that every time I played the Maybe not the first few times, but because I've played this game over and over over the years, I kind of set myself a challenge of like seeing if I can get to like level 10 with Cloud without using any potions. And I don't think you can equip his restore materia at this stage that he picked up. So you would just have to use potions healing. And it's like, can I get to that level 10 mark without dying? And it's kind of a little challenge I give myself. Go to the train graveyard, grind and don't die and uh so yeah i have i have been there and done that in the uh mm-hmm. it, back in the day there's a few other folks you can talk to but then if you go uh to the left from the train platform um you get to a clearing that's got that save point north of it is a chain link fence that bars access to the pillar holding up sector seven the south there are two shin regards and red outfits that prevent access to somewhere i don't even remember where but they're, they're not letting you through and then Continuing to the west is the Sector 7 slums. I'll talk a little bit about our arrival in Remake. The crew gets off and they're all kind of celebrating. And um, Barrett screams at the top of his voice, Hot! Damn, we are good. (laughs) And uh, then Wedge adds, Bombs detonated one, members lost zero. Hot! Damn, we are good! (laughs) Bombs detonated one, members lost zero. And upon him saying that, uh, the the camera like swooshes into Barrett. And he just yells, "Guys!" <laughs> and uh, he's like, he's like telling them to keep it down. And it's like, Barrett, you you started this. You were the loudest one here. But I mean, it makes sense. Don't talk about the bomb that loud. I get what he's going for there. But it was just very like there was a very comedic tone to it for me that wasn't there in the original Mm -hmm. but i'll point out you know we've been talking about this narrative of um was was the reactor explosion intended to be like that and we we've already talked about this the conclusion that that was just not part of the narrative at all in 7 og and this is where i feel that's absolutely confirmed because in og on the platform barrett says don't y'all be scared of that explosion because the next one's going to be bigger than that. Yeah. He does not say that in seven remake at all. So that tells me the explosion they did do was completely intentional and Barrett's going to go even harder the next time. He does not give a shit. And so there's no like, we'll get to it here coming up, but there's no like, Oh, we need to make a more precise bomb or limit casualties or whatever. It's like this, this is, exactly what they intended in 7 og was to create this level of destruction and it's something that you know again because we're not really worried about spoiling aspects of og that just aren't present in remake that aspect of barrett's kind of wanton love of 
what's the word like righteous destruction right Mm -hmm. there's a level of him having to address that and come to terms with that later in the game where somebody on the other end of that destruction says what about all the people you killed in your crusade have you ever thought about their lives or their feelings or what they had to go through because of your actions and he does kind of have to wrestle with that when we take control of cloud here we're walking through this lane of travelers that are walking back to their homes or whatever's going on in the area there's a food truck out there there's concerned citizens they're all top you know the 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 explosion and the and the traumatic events of what happened uh topside is still relevant down here there we're we're hearing ambient conversations about loved ones running to one another and and hugging them and and you know they're they're so thrilled that they're okay um things like that but we get a mini scene when we run into a guy airing down an avalanche propaganda poster and he's i don't know who he's talking to i guess he's talking to himself but it's kind of just for us as game players to to listen you're telling me this is in progress you know like avalanche is trying to tear all this down but he's really astonished by the monumental feat of engineering that is midgar itself although he appears to be a slum dog himself he's probably an elon musk reply guy who no matter what happens, he's always going to simp for Elon in the Twitter threads. Uh-huh. But yeah, he's he's interesting on a couple levels. The first I'll say is that he seems to be a combination of two characters from OG. In OG, there was a man actually topside in the sector. Was it sector eight where you're running around the actual like civilized area where you meet Aerith for the first time and you're they're just kind of playing that melancholy song while you're running from the troops you meet a guy that's looking at an avalanche advertisement on a wall and he's questioning it with skepticism it kind of reminded me of him and he wasn't present in um remake when we were topside walking through the heightened level of destruction there no kidding but also in og there's a man <laughs> sitting on a pipe and when you talk to him he nearly falls over and he in my opinion says some kind of like translation lost in translation word salad um but basically he's like he's awestruck by the pillar he thinks it's the coolest thing ever the the pillar holding up the plate and so just as this guy like you said he's into kind of celebrating shinra and its works it reminds me of the dude from og but his like translation is a little bit off he says Quote, this is a strange and wonderful place. This is my place, but you can come here when you want. And I'm thinking, the pipe? The pipe is your place? I can come hang out with you on your pipe and look at the pillar all day with you? <laughs> I don't know, but I. it's just always, even as a kid, I was like, what? what does this guy mean? Like the pipe has a hole in it. Does he sleep inside the pipe? I don't know. But I I thought that that was interesting that they kind of combine two characters. After we overhear this, uh, Cloud kind of walks up to him, but then he begins to hallucinate again. And what he sees is a walkway falling and crashing down onto him. Then what happens next is those, uh, those dusty ghosts that we described in, uh, in previous episodes, they show up and they steer him away. The guy who was previously kind of, given his speech there he wonders what the hell's going on with cloud as he's like flinching and cowering next to him and he calls him a mako junkie oh that's right it's the first time i've heard the concept of a mako junkie what would that be tyler a mako junkie Uh uh-huh a guy who's well 
he's he's getting high on Mako energy. So that little burst pipe that we saw Aerith hanging out with where she was like <laughs> wafting in, taking the fumes in. Is she a Mako junkie? More than you know, man. Yeah. Did she like grab a, a screwdriver and, you know, a screwdriver and a hammer and pound some holes in that pipe and just huff it for a few moments? And it's like, ah. Right. In that first shot of her in original, when her like head turns up, what, what really happened is she's she's doing one of those like euphoric <sighs> things instead. Exactly. So, again, it's the first time I've heard that term. There's only a slight suggestion in original. The idea that being exposed to too much Mako can kind of put you in like a certain state. And there are there is like a doctor and a nurse who knows how to treat that. But that's the only suggestion that like breathing in or huffing or ingesting or injecting Mako in any sort of way is like a can create a mind altering state in some way is a a specific scene in the original. I think when I played remake the first time here in 2020, this was the moment where being able to pan the camera around up, look at the sky, looking at everything around me. It's where it really settled in of like, they did it. (laughs) They, they pulled it off. You know, it has the level of scale that we always imagined in our head when we thought about what is Midgar and it's like a similar level of the, the people pulling off. How do I say this? It's akin to like Xenoblade pulling off an amazing level of scale that I was just constantly like, oh, wow, it, it's so like big and expansive. Now, Xenoblade has the added benefit of you can actually go to a ton of those locations if you can have the patience to swim or walk there. We don't have that here in seven, but still just the representation of how everything looks is exactly how we imagined it. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get that sense of scope in this moment, but I will later on in this chapter. I'll point it out when I get to it. Sure. And the other thing that they're doing with the slum design is I think it's a lot more intentional than the original. Now, I love slum design in the original, and we've talked about kind of in our intro episode of how that inspired me to do crazy art. But one thing I'm noticing is like in OG, it looks like there's just a lot of trash and debris piled up everywhere. We get that here, but there's also more hints in remake of what these places and towns were before they became this kind of discarded, forgotten society. Like, for example, you mentioned going to the train graveyard in seven OG. It feels like that's just a place where the topside dumps their broken trains it's like literally a graveyard where it's just a a trash heap you know in certain ways there are rails and there are some structures but it just looks like junk but here even though we can access the the train graveyard in remake you can look over and it's like this looks like a former early industrial age place where this was the hub where all the trains of old Midgar arrived and were, um, was it, a, is it a junction? Is that what it's called when they have like the rotating platform that sends a train off to their different, uh, Oh, I, I don't remember. Yeah. Like, a, I think it's a junction, but, um, anyway, I'm getting the sense. And when I look at remakes, like design is that, they're they're doing a lot more to show like the buildings and structures and things littered about of like there was a town here before it's just been covered in shit and like 
pieced together and forgotten and like on its last leg. So I really love that about the environment design, them amping it up to the next level with just a sense of intentional design to it instead of like the originals, like just put a bunch of garbage together, you know. We move along and we get into the Sector 7 slums itself. We, we, we parted ways from the train station and we get to the neighborhood of the slums. And when we do, the music is warm and inviting. This place is very destitute, but, but the, the sense that we get as we get into this community is sort of a, you know, they're... Uh, these these are these are good people with golden hearts, fallen on hard times sort of sort of sense. That the music makes me feel that way. It's kind of um, romantic in a in a hard luck sort of sort of way. In original, it's just the seventh heaven bar and three buildings. That's it. In remake, it's this large area with lots of homes and shop you know shanty homes shanty shops other areas a, a derelict factory a junkyard a big open area it's a much larger environment to get involved in and eventually we'll be uh questing around here and exploring all the nooks and crannies but the first order of business is uh getting to seventh heaven yeah and we'll say the um additional amount of people they just put on the map even if it's like filler or bloat you know it's like it just gives such a sense of this town is lived in there are a lot of people in this situation in the slums it's not just a ragtag group of people who are down on their luck this is a whole economy a whole class of people that are relegated to this position almost seems like there are definitely a lot of people topside but it might be that there are more people below than there are topside in the case of midgar that's an interesting thought because it's definitely as crowded here as it was when we were navigating the streets of midgar proper that's an interesting thought it it follows the Pareto principle where like a very small percentage of the population has like all of the stuff but a very large percentage of the population has like all of the rest which is a very small amount of the rest of the stuff that's just that's just kind of a constant in in our lives. No matter what like economic system you you live in, we we end up arriving at these hierarchical pyramids of who has what, and you people have a lot, and a lot of people don't have very much at all. So uh, I have a little thing I can say about OG here. Sure, we're approaching the bar to meet up with the other Avalanche team members, and in OG, this scene as it kind of pans into the main section of Sector Seven slums. We see Barrett rushing in and kicking everyone out of the bar. Yes. This is obviously for their terrorist meetup, but as a kid playing this game, I just thought that Barrett was angry all the time and immediately got into bar fights the second he walked through the door. And uh, you can also see Tifa kind of giving everybody these apologetic Japanese bows to all the customers on their way out. She w- runs to one end and bends over and then runs to the other end and bends over and like uh, saying, please excuse us. I'm sorry that this giant man just came in here screaming, but <laughs> the, it makes a little bit more sense uh the in how it's represented in remake of you know hey place is closed we're we're shutting down shop we got a meeting important stuff's happening get out of here one of the people he scuttles out of the bar in both games is johnny love johnny love johnny i don't know do i love johnny yeah yeah i'm, I'm i will eventually love johnny at least in my first playthrough 
And uh, he's this cool dude. He's a young man. He's dressed like a like a greaser. He's got a, a long red shock of hair that's kind of turned upwards, like a, like he's peacocking or, or like a rooster. He's got, he's got like a rooster haircut or like Rufio from Hook, if you're as old as we are. Yeah, he gets thrown out, and at least in original, uh, I have I have the quote here that when you talk to him after he gets thrown out, he says he's blitzed and he loves those homemade cocktails, but they sure do creep up on you. See, this is the thing: is maybe you were much more cultured than me, or less sheltered than I was. I had no idea what blitzed meant as a kid, so I don't know if I did. Okay. Just curious. It's a there's a lot of dialogue that revisiting. Obviously, I played it many times as an adult, but there was like a threshold I crossed where immediately just so much of the game made more so much more sense after not being eleven for five, six, ten years. Right. He's a minor character in original, but we're gonna hear a lot more of him in remake. The thing is, is he's a minor character in original, but he is in the whole game. You will see Johnny a lot in OG. He's on his own personal quest that just happens to coincide with all of the same locations as ours. Right. So does that make Johnny like the Big Joe of Remake? Kinda. He's he's like a proto-Joe. Proto-Joe. Uh, Big Joe is, of course, a, a minor character in Xenogears who, who happens to kind of follow the adventure along with the, with the playable party members, although he is not himself a playable party member. And he does have a huge, like... Uh, secret lore to him that we're not going to get into. I don't expect that's going to be the case with Johnny, um, but but there is a funny parallel between. The, oh, and he's a big like a peacocky sort of sort of buff machismo um, guy too. So I guess I guess we can draw that parallel there too. Funny to draw such a parallel between those two characters. Johnny is voiced by Yuri Lowenthal, whose current claim to fame is being Spider Man in the Spider Man video games. Oh, but um, one second here. Let me just double check and confirm this. Actually, he's in goddamn everything, so it doesn't. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, Yuri's probably biggest claim to fame is being Sasuke Uchiha in the Naruto anime dub in English. So I always recognize him the second I hear him. More on voice acting. Uh, when we get into Seventh Heaven, we're going to meet Tifa a bartender and childhood friend of Cloud's. And Tifa, in the English version, is voiced by Britt Baron, who I know from the show Glow. The gorgeous ladies of wrestling! The gorgeous ladies of wrestling! I have not watched that show. It's a good show. It got cut off because, well, it's a show about ladies wrestling ladies. Sure. But, and then when COVID happened, they couldn't shoot anymore because by virtue of the art form of wrestling you have to make physical contact with one another and like you know the production of the show was just unfeasible probably make physical contact also in very sweaty moisturous ways yeah <laughs> which is how COVID is primarily transmitted is through droplets <laughs> yes no good okay so if your head hasn't been in the sand for the last 25 years tifa is a martial artist kind of like it, it, more in the matter of a boxer brawler than than like a karate uh performer um she's uh she has uh, long black hair she's got a uh, tight white top a black skirt black tights red gauntlets on, and gloves on her on her arms and her in her hands and she's a part of avalanche too although her ideology is a little bit different than 
certainly from Barrett's and probably every, most of everybody else. She's running the bar. She's kind of, looks like she's, she's the front of the house. In the analog of, let's say, like a mafia-fronted pizzeria, she's the one, like, actually slinging the pizzas to the actual patrons while the dirty deeds are, you know, going on in the back room. So much pizza in this game. It's a, the entire game revolves around pizzas. Right. Now, Seventh Heaven doesn't itself actually sling pizzas, not that I've seen. <laughs> According to Johnny, she makes a mean cocktail. Nice. One thing I'll point out is you listed Tifa as kind of a a brawler, but I'm going to say she is straight up a Final Fantasy monk Mm. of the the monk class that has traditionally been in the game for two reasons, one of which we'll get into a little bit more once we officially recruit her character. But one is she cycles through combat stances three different combat stances in order to deliver specific abilities that are based in that like punchy kicky variety right (laughs) but that is the same thing that monks and pugilists in final fantasy 14 do and i almost feel like her combat style was inspired by that a little bit the idea of building your way through stances that deliver different uh specific abilities so there's that but also there's the briefest little amount of information in 7OG that she was trained by a man named Zangan or Zangan or however you want to pronounce it. And he is a hundred percent a, oh, what's the word? Is it, I forget what it's called, but basically like an ascetic, um, a, a man who lives out in the woods and foregoes mm. the pleasures of modernization and modern life and focuses on bettering himself through meditation, calisthenics, martial arts, etc. I want to say it's Yamabushi monks are that style. It's like a sect of the, like a Buddhist religious sect of where... I don't know anything about that. Yeah, it, it's almost like their, um, their perfecting of their body is their worship, the part of their religion. And that's how they're going to get rid of worldly wants and uh, problems is through discipline in a way. So... That is who trained her. So she's got the the makings of a Final Fantasy monk, even if it's a more urbanized, modern take on it. I also think that arriving at the bar, there's a little bit of a commentary on the idea that there is no ethical consumption under capitalism because the headquarters of Avalanche, Seventh Heaven, the bar, has massive Mako tanks sitting outside burning Mako fueling the place, keeping the lights on. I did not pick up on that. It's off to the left side, kind of. You can actually go behind the bar in this, uh, in Remake. Uh-huh. So you can you can catch a glimpse of that in the back there. It is neat to behold the bar. Like, I remember my first playthrough a couple years ago, just like kind of standing in front of 7th Heaven and being like, wow, I'm at 7th Heaven Remake style. And it's much more grand. It's, it's bigger than I remember it to be in the original. And it is like in the center of the slum too and that's also the case too so it does feel like a hearth it does feel like home um certainly for our characters and rhetorically in the in the zone it kind of comes off as a building that miraculously predates the slumminess of the slums the same way a certain church we will visit later predates like it's part of the original Midgar, oh and it, it seems like like somehow that bar has survived as well through the maybe it being like the social hub of the area. The people have come together. The 
the patronage of it and the cultural impact of it means someone has always been running that bar because obviously it's not Tifa. She's like 20. So it's probably past hands and actually we don't, there's just no way that that would be her or Barrett's bar knowing what we know about the characters. So I wonder who, who the hell runs that place? Like who is the actual owner of seventh heaven? <laughs> the, the mysterious benefactor dude. It's Norg. It's Norg again. <laughs> he's he's under the arcade machine actually goes down an additional an additional level that we <laughs> don't does. know about and and Norg is down there. <laughs> That's a great point. I didn't think about that. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So in in remake Marlene rushes loud thinking it's Barrett because I guess she's just expecting Barrett to be to be the next person to enter the door, but it's this tall, skinny, spiky, blonde-haired boy and it frightens her and she runs off and then Mulbert well, does also enter and he kind of chastises Cloud for scaring her but he's not really himself scary he's just kind of you know grim faced and he's got maybe you know eerie glowing eyes occasionally mm-hmm. Barrett says and I love the voice actor's delivery of this you want to talk to a kid don't give them the professional killer eyes the voice acting gives us an additional perspective on Barrett that maybe was there in the original but it just it was so difficult to get beyond that layer of he's the badass aggro leader who's always pissed about something Mm -hmm. whereas in 7r we really get to see him as he gets home and he's back in his element unwind and he's kind of like a big lovable teddy bear in a lot of ways he's got a lot of wisdom to him he cares for this kid as as his own daughter she calls him daddy and he's got all the love in the world for her and so that is present in og but it's so like sparse and without voice acting without with you kind of delivering the lines in your head based on who you're expecting him to be how he's presented in that first chapter it's very different Mm -hmm. when we have that bridge gapped for us by a voice actor and personally i love it because it's like that onion is being peeled right before our eyes to see it's like i love barrett so much faster in this game than i did in the original he he was always kind of like a bencham as early as i could character in seven because i just wasn't a fan of his take on things until much later when you learned about him right Mm -hmm. but here it's like i already love him he's he's got so much character to him when we see him with marlene for the first time the aggro angry man persona that he occupies melts away and he he turns into this completely different person he's like you described a, a big lovable teddy bear daddy and you know in, in in original he throws marlene up on his shoulder and she's kind of like riding around on him a little bit so they have this really really great father daughter relationship although barrett is a black man marlene is a white little girl and not to say that you can't have a, a black man can't have a biological uh progeny that is white but it kind of posits the idea in your head in your first playthrough of i suppose either game it begs the question well what is the real parental or even biological relationship between marlene and barrett yeah it's seeding something very intentionally a mystery of sorts in a very clever way but as a kid i had such a limited understanding of the world i grew up in, in this like rock solid nuclear Midwestern family. So I immediately bridge the gap of like, Oh, okay. So Barrett's dad, Tifa is mom. Oh yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Cause she has a, a motherly 
angle to her personality too. For sure. Even on my first playthrough as a kid that melted away somewhat shortly after, but that was my first impression of like, uh, wait, okay. I see. I guess that makes sense, you know, but even then you, as an 11 year old, I was like, oh, a African-American, I guess there is no America there. So he's just black. Right. But, uh, a black man and a white daughter, like there is a question there and it's like what we call telling a story through subtext instead of some games you would walk through the door and be like she'd say daddy and then the character would say this isn't my actual daughter Mm -hmm. (laughs) we don't need that when tifa greets us at the door she notices cloud's flower tucked into his shirt now you went through the process of trying to deny the flower as best you could which i've never done in a remake so you can you confirm for me that there is no way to not have the flower on your shirt in the game you can demolish the relationship between these two people in your efforts to decline the flower but she will still pin it to uh cloud's vest anyways for sure and so in og that is not the case you can arrive without a flower whatsoever but in this case in remake tifa notices the flower says it's unlike him and Cloud says, a guy can change, can he? And he immediately gives it to Tifa and she says, oh, that's sweet. How, how wonderful. Which it has robbed me of my opportunity to play the Shadow Points dating minigame. <laughs> because in OG, you can, you can be nice to Aerith, get the flower, get Aerith points. And now you have the flower. But then you have the option of giving it to Tifa or giving it to Marlene because Marlene is shy and she's hiding behind big ass Barrett's leg. And so you can kind of break the ice with that shyness by giving the flower to Marlene and you can't take Marlene on a date. She's a kid, but this gives you Barrett points. Nice. Barrett will warm up to cloud if you give the flower to Marlene. So uh, there is an actual ability to get Barrett shadow points as well. There is. Yes. If you just shit all over all the other (laughs) options and just accrue a couple of those Barrett points, you might go on a date with the man himself. The man with the machine gun. The other man with the machine gun. Mm -hmm. At this point between OG and Remake, we begin to diverge in content quite dramatically. We're getting the events exactly. I'm sure Nate will fill me in. But in original, we go straight into the secret hideout that is accessible from the pinball machine in the bar barrett smashes the the plexiglass top of the (laughs) pinball machine and there is a hidden platform that the pinball machine is on and and it all descends down a lower level thought this was so cool when i first saw it i did too oh before we go down there i want to point out that in original there's a yellow neon sign in the bar that says beer and just under it another neon sign in purple that says Texas. (laughs) Hold on to your butts, everybody. Texas (laughs) is canon in the Final Fantasy VII Remake Boot Verse. That's awesome. I wonder if a a Japanese person looked up pictures of what good old-fashioned American bars look like. Like a, a saloon, even. Sure. Roadhouse. Okay, so what's going to happen next is uh, I'm going to get into what happens in the equivalent content of 
OG first um, because it wraps up pretty quickly. It doesn't even take you 10 minutes to do, although there's lots of lots and lots and lots of content to do in Remake. And so um, I'm going to just focus on that and then we'll circle back to Remake when we get to it, whether it's this episode or the next. Firstly, I'm going to point out the other houses in the area here. Like I mentioned, there's, of course, the bar, but then there's three other houses. There's a three-story shanty house that looks like it's violating all kinds of building codes. It's got a shop that sells iron bangles. Barrett's default weapon is also for sale by this guy. And grenades, which is a, an on-use item that, um, that deals... Uh, pretty good amount of damage certainly more than a, a a regular attack from any any playable character at this point there's a huge makeshift shooting range in there too that has a huge steel helmet lying in the way and it's the size it's like the size of a car and i kind of wonder where that came from there's the shinra logo on its forehead i went ahead and looked up what the proud clod helmet looks like from original which is a, a boss well near the end of the game and it is nothing like it but i kind of wondered if maybe you know i'm trying to join the dots in certain ways but I'm, I'm not being able to with this bizarre helmet anyways on the second story of this house is a guy in a hard hat who says avalanche are really just out to kill as many people as possible and and then at the third level is a room that has three dirty beds and a kid who's trying to hustle me out of 10 gil to sleep in one did you get the sense that like he he sells you a place in the room or like he says this is his place you can mm -hmm. sleep here you know for for a price did you get the sense that he made that up like this isn't actually his house yeah I do. I did. I did get that sense. Okay. I was wondering if that was just me and he's like a, a grifter. He's a grifter. He ain't no proprietor. Okay. I mean, he, he's a, he's a impoverished kid, yeah. probably trying to get a few, uh, get a few more gill to bring home that day. Mm -hmm. So after I explore the area, we go into the bar. Um, we go, we do everything we, we mentioned earlier. Tifa asks cloud if he's feeling all right. And he asks why. And she says, well, you look a little tired, I guess. And maybe this is seeding a big revelation later. But then Cloud goes down into the secret area, you know, down the pinball machine shaft unprompted. And down there, Barrett's wailing on a punching bag. Barrett asks Cloud if we fought anyone from Shinra during the mission we were just at. And Cloud says, no, if there was, you wouldn't be standing here right now. And then as a response to this, Barrett lunges at Cloud and then Biggs holds him back. And then Barrett turns on Biggs and hurls him out of the room, but directly at the camera, like that Shredder fight in TMNT Turtles in Time. <laughs> And, and it's another one of those comic moments that you're not going to find in Remake. It's, you know, very much like the, you know, uh, Wedge's ass on fire and, and, other, and other slapstick things. Now that I mention it, I have a question I want to ask you. Mm -hmm. Do you think Ever Crisis is going to include things like that? Mm, that's a good, good question. Yeah. Are they going to try and modernize it and make it more serious and bring it up to the, the standard of what we're seeing? Or are they just going to do it one to one? I think there is going to be some level of updates just because the translation was bad in the original due to mm -hmm. con constraints of technology and time. Mm -hmm. But will he physically hurl Wedge at the screen? <laughs> I'm going to go or not Wedge Biggs. Still, uh, still. We cannot keep them straight. Um, I'm going to go with yes. I'm going to we're going to see it. The thing is, is there's a lot of. There's a lot of things like that where I just don't know what the fuck actually happened. So Barrett got mad at what Cloud said and tried to come at us. Big stopped him and then Barrett tossed Big's ass instead. 
I guess that's what I saw on the screen, but it just doesn't make sense based on the characters, you know? Mm-hmm. But, you know, it it is what it is. The, f- the thing that I found funny was after that, Barrett goes back to his punching bag even faster, and he's yes. just fucking wailing on this thing like Goku speed, and he's also punching it with his gun. <laughs> so, like, th- there is... He's got, we don't really know when we see how he fires it. He like pulls something. He, he, when he shoots it in battle, he puts his hand on it and like pulls some sort of trigger or moves some sort of lever to fire the Gatling gun on his hand. But he is very confident that there is no misfiring of this gun whatsoever on any occasion because his child is right there as he's punching a punching bag with his gun. Mm-hmm. So he's very confident in this thing. He is. I figured he was steadying his arm to, to from like recoil. Sure. Well, that begs the question then, does he fire it with his mind? Does his mind fire the yeah. bullets in? Is it like piped into his nervous system? That'd be sick. Um, In the basement here, I'll also mention this is OG's only indication whatsoever of Jesse wondering if she made the bomb wrong. Because she she watches the TV, the playback, the live playback from the news of the explosion. And she was like, to, to paraphrase, to kind of retranslate it in my own way. She, she was like, holy shit, that explosion was way bigger than I thought. Did I make the bomb wrong? That's the mm-hmm. only indication of that narrative whatsoever that we get in OG. And where it's this huge driving thing in remake. Also on TV, that announcer acknowledges that it's an attack by Avalanche. So the citizenry is well aware of Avalanche, and we can assume that Heidegger has also known about the group for a while. Whereas in Remake, Heidegger is just kind of learning about Avalanche as Avalanche is infiltrating the first reactor. Yeah, this was another kid moment for me to read that a terrorist group took credit for an attack. That kind of didn't make sense to me. It's like, why would you put a target on your back like that? Now, as an adult, I'm aware that this happens all the time. Attacks happen, and then terrorist groups say, yeah, we did it, because the whole point is to create terror. But I was like, watching this scene as a kid, I was like, well, that's stupid. Now they're all coming for you. (laughs) Like, why did you do that? (laughs) And claim Mm -hmm. responsibility for it. But, you know, now now I kind of know how that all works we skipped over uh tifa's the the flashback if we're talking about og oh we didn't skip over it yet so well oh, that's happens, later it, well it, it's it's real soon so what happens is uh before barrett begins like hyper assaulting the punching bag he's he goads cloud and says that cloud's still in shinra's pocket he doesn't i don't think he actually means it i think he's just trying to piss him off maybe if this conversation were happening in remake another stamp analogy would fit here sure but cloud said he doesn't care about avalanche or the planet for that matter and goes back up the shaft and then as he's about to leave the bar tifa uh, ascends the shaft as well and says so you're just going to walk away from this you get a yes no prompt and then she says you forgot about our promise tifa is the one saying hey you made a promise that's important. I'm going to cash in my chips here. Get you to fulfill your promise to me. So she's the one that's pulling on that string in this case in OG. We flash back seven years ago. We get another scene of that, of those two at Nibelheim square kid cloud and kid Tifa. And now we saw this scene briefly in 
Was it this chapter or was it chapter two? I think it's chapter two. Have we already seen this scene in remake? I think it was chapter one. We were going to the reactor and um Jesse asks if we oh, know Tifa yes. and we get a the briefest little glimpse of something like this, but I don't think the whole thing. Yep, that's true. So what happens is we get the 1997 version of that scene uh, played out in full. There's Kid Cloud, Kid Tifa. Cloud doesn't really look like a kid. He looks like a dwarf. Like his, his head is the same size as his adult body, but it's on a shrunken down torso, shrunken down arms and legs. He looks really funny. Tifa is not in her pugilist outfit. She's in a light blue like summer dress. Teal, I would almost call it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's teal. Good point. In this flashback, Cloud says he wants to be as good as the great Sephiroth. So, seven years prior to the events of the game, Seph was already a legend. And that is the first time you will hear those letters. <laughs> that is the first time you will hear that name <laughs> uttered in OG Final Fantasy VII. Aha. Yeah, you right? hear him referred to as the legendary hero. Mm. Superman. Superman. Super swordsman. And uh, Tifa is sad to hear that Cloud wants to go at, go to, you know, make a name for himself out in the world because all the boys are leaving town. Nibelheim is kind of a backwater village, although it does have a Mako reactor in the mountains, uh, which kind of look down on the village. However, Cloud says, I'm not, I'm like, I'm going to go train and be like Sephiroth. I'm going to go be a soldier. So it's not just like I'm just trying to find a job anywhere, which prompts Tifa to say, well then promise me this. If I'm ever in a bind, you'll come and rescue me. Cloud begrudgingly agrees to this, and then the camera tips up, and then a shooting star passes by overhead, which neither character notices. And I gotta ask you, Nate, like, what's the significance of that shooting star? I don't have any um, connections to that within my like own upbringing religion-wise of what the significance of shooting stars is or... Any of that so i can't really say from like a western perspective i wonder if there's some sort of significance of that from like a japanese perspective i know i've seen it in anime used as like an indication of like spirits eavesdropping or like some sort of guardian entity overlooking or, <laughs> or you know like in some capacity like that sure but i can't really say i do have some ideas though so there's the logo. The Final Fantasy VII logo is a oh right like a comet. There's um, black material, you know, the meteor, mm -hmm. the um, cataclysm that will befall the planet farther into the game. But also fate. Maybe this is kind of like a a signifier that they will meet again. The stars are saying that yes, this is going to happen. And then I looked into other meanings too, and one thing that I found was soulmates. Hmm. Yes, that that was the moment where the bond was forged. Even if it was a reluctant or mm. kind of simple one, it would be the, the foundation for what would grow beyond. Anyways, we get back to Seventh Heaven. Barrett Gorilla climbs up the secret hideout shaft and tosses Cloud 1500 gil. Cloud's not satisfied with it, but doesn't say how much he's actually meant to have. This is it? Yeah. Is that what he says? This is it? I forget if that's the exact words, but that's that's the vibe. In Remake, he'll give the actual number. Mm -hmm. I was not satisfied with 1,500, but he puts out there that he'll do another job for 3,000. Barrett says, 
that's money for Marlene's schooling, and he's triggered all over again. <laughs> I didn't believe that there was an actual school in the slums, and that they would charge money for your kids to go there. I I figured everybody's just like winging it, eating slop, and learning the learning everything on the rough streets. But we actually visit a real school in remake, so there are schools. Oh, that's true. Yeah, mm, good point. We fade it back, and it's next morning. And we're back at 7th Heaven. Marlene is washing glasses behind the bar, but it kind of sounds like she's making drinks with a cocktail shaker. She's four, by the way. She's four years old? I think so. Four or five. Tifa says she's going on the next mission. Barrett says we're hitting the Sector 5 reactor, and he'll fill us in on the train. Following that... Barrett says he doesn't know how to use Materia and asks Cloud to explain this. This is our chance to hear the Materia tutorial I decline because I don't want to go through that. But the funny thing is, is that in the prompt, like the yes, no prompt of do you want to go through this tutorial? Your no answer isn't actually no. It's you wouldn't understand. <laughs> I love it. What an asshole. And he gets pissed if you answer that way. But if you do the tutorial, you go through the whole thing. You get to the end. And Barrett says, I don't understand. And he leaves it up to you to do it anyway. So, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Huh. The result is the same. You were right by saying he wouldn't understand. Amazing. I'll note that the song that plays when you wake up the next morning is Barrett's theme. That's right. And it's this chipper little goofy kind of an anthem in a way. It makes sense. But... It's also shares the same melody and notes. I don't know music enough, but it's basically the same song as the town of Coral. Just it has a very upbeat tone mm -hmm. to it as opposed to Coral's depressing tone. So uh, I didn't even realize that until I was looking up music for this. I was playing through the game and I was looking up the name of the tracks and I was like, okay, Barrett's theme, that makes sense. And then later that day I was humming it while I was on a walk with my son. And I was like, as I was progressing through it, humming it, it's like, wait, I'm singing the theme to the town of Coral, not Barrett's theme anymore. Oh my God, they're the same. I never fucking realized that as a kid. Also, when you wake up, you were sleeping on a pipe really yeah so cloud's head he's down in the basement and he was just passed out with his head on a pipe <laughs> <laughs> lots of lots of people that get very cozy with pipes in this chapter are they especially warm they're, they're not they're not soft at all but maybe they're huffing mako mako oh sure yeah to, yeah they get to sleep tifa asks if you slept well and you have the option to say next to you who wouldn't and then she says she doesn't understand what you mean. And I'm just like, I'm perplexed by that interaction because I, we didn't sleep next to her. I can't imagine that she sleeps on a pipe at the bar as well. So I don't know what that means. The other option is that Barrett's snoring kept him up. So again, is Barrett sleeping on the pipe as well? Was everybody just huddled in the corner of the basement sleeping on the floor? I don't get it. It's a king sized pipe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, man, got it. Got it. Check it off. Uh, so the last thing that happens before we regain control in OG, Tifa says, the weapon shop wants to talk to me. 
or someone at the weapon shop wants to talk to me. So we go back to that three-storied building and uh, when then we kind of go through all the same stuff I described a few minutes ago. The beginner's hall is here now, that, that, that chain-linked area that's in the interior of the second floor is opened up now. There's a lot of buff-looking dudes that are, that are very hard, they're flexing, but they have a battery of battle tutorials for, for us, like 12 of them that I'm not going to go through because I know how to play this game. But one, but the last one... One of the, the, the last tutorials kind of strange. It says other things to watch out for. It's like materia, elementals, and blah, blah, blah. Other things to watch out for. If you select that, the guy says, don't take the CD out of the disk drive unless instructed to. Mm, right. Yeah. Actually, it's not the buff dudes that say that. It's the hard hat dude. But, there are, but the buff dudes there have other battle tutorials as well. Another long list of them, and I don't read them all except for the elementals, because I'm trying, because I want to see like, I like to draw a a relationship between the the rock paper scissors of elementals and OG to remake. I imagine they're exactly the same. I haven't looked up remakes precisely, but this is how it's described in OG. So, what elemental is strong to what? For fire, animals, and water monsters, ice. Fire monsters and things that hate cold. <laughs> Very subjective. It gets better, Nate. Lightning. Mechanical things. Earth. Doesn't work on flying enemies. No mention of what it does work on. Poison. Doesn't work on any poison-based enemies. Thank you very much. Gravity. These hurt if they hit. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's what it says. Water. Works well on fire monsters. Wind works well on flying monsters. Holy calls up the planet's power and works well on dark monsters. And then there, and then the tag to this uh, mini tutorial is using the sense materia will tell you what kind of elements these guys have. Sure. Highly scientific there. Yeah. Uh, this room is just an absolute hoot of... Like you said, men flexing, dogs barking, treasure chests dropping from the ceiling. Um, there's this weird line that you pick a materia piece off the floor and a guy says, man, you got that one right off. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, what does that, what does that mean? I don't get it. But it's like uh, this, this room is actually kind of depressing in Remake when we eventually get to it. There's no one here. There's no party happening. There's no, um, this, is, this is just a, a meeting place for what they call the neighborhood watch. And this, mm-hmm. this in OG is less neighborhood watch and more of a village people fan club that we're seeing happening here. You're absolutely right about that. Um, only a few more notes here for uh, original for me. Now that we had all those scenes in the bar, or I should say it's the next day, we can access those other two houses in the slums, which were originally locked. The three-story one was not. The other two are open. One is an item shop, and the other is, I suspect, it's Johnny's parents' house. In Remake, you interact with Johnny, we're going to get to it, and then you speak with his father, and I had a look at the Lego people model of the gentleman in this other house, and of Johnny's dad, who we do meet in Remake, and they both have gray hair, white button-down shirt, burgundy vest. And the guy, when you talk to him, he worries about his son. 
but Nate, it gets better. If you talk to him again, he has a conversation with Cloud and we learn a little bit more about Cloud. If you didn't already know more about Cloud, if it's your first playthrough, you talk to him a few times and he asks Cloud where he's from and you can answer, you're from Nibelheim. You have an option to say, you know, Nibelheim or I don't know, get lost. And he says, he recalls that Nibelheim was the first ever, was the site of the first ever Mako accident. Mmm. Mmm. Yeah. Interesting. I don't remember that actually for a guy who obsesses over the game. I do not recall that interaction. That's amazing. Now, you talked about visiting the buildings when you woke up. Did you get the scene of Johnny's parting? Because if you go to a building first, you will miss Johnny's uh, leaving the slums. Maybe I did. Lay it on me. Okay. So... If you, the first thing you do is walk up north after waking up or after exiting 7th Heaven on the next morning, you get a little scene where everybody's gathered to wish Johnny happy trails as he goes out on an adventure to see the world. He is, I don't want to say like a insert for like the average adventurer, like that doesn't have this overarching narrative and quest, like a typical RPG nobody you know but mm-hmm. he, he he is going to be treading the same steps that we have as we've mentioned earlier he's like big joe but he, he's just there's no prompting of this no reason other than like he's out there to just experience the world on his own to do his thing and people are kind of like sad to see him go his parents and everything but i forget the exact line i'd have to look up but there is a little bit of a mention of how Something along the lines of he's going to miss Tifa and he's pining over her. And so there's, I think in remake too, there's this slightest little hint of not that there's actually anything tangible between them, but Tifa definitely knows who he is and definitely has like a history. She, She knows all about him. And then he drops some lines about like, well, if, if Tifa will do it, then for sure. Or you know, I, I'd have to look it up to make sure. But over the course of the game, we learned that Johnny's got a thing for Tifa. So I wonder if there's like an old flame there, if there was ever anything between them. I don't think so, but there's just an, enough little nuggets there to entertain the idea. 100 million people have a thing for Tifa. Oh, that's that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think with those events, Tyler, that's a good place to cut it off in our coverage of OG, because what happens here is in OG, basically you bomb the first reactor and then you go to bed and you wake up the next day ready to go bomb the next reactor. Very quick progression. Whereas in Remake, you get an extra day. And so we reach an impasse where there's just so much content that doesn't exist in OG that we now need to cover on the remake side of things. And I think that's a good place to kind of take a break for this chapter three segment. And then we'll just dial back and uh, revisit chapter three fresh, uh, ready for a long stretch of pure remake content. As always, thanks for listening, everybody. The Hero with a Thousand Potions podcast is a production of Gunblade Guys. That's us, Tyler and Nate. Um, We want you to join us on Discord. We have this great little community of folks, um, like-minded 
game likers, um, very much like yourselves, that you should think about being a part of. If you uh, go to our podcast's description paragraph at the top of the of the uh, of whatever service you were listening to us on, go to the bottom of that paragraph and click that Discord link. Also in the podcast description is a link to our coffee account where you can tip us if you like. But you can also type ko-fi.com slash gunbladeguys and you can find us there too. And don't, don't, don't email us at gunbladeguys at gmail.com. You will not email us. We will not check it. Do not send that email. <laughs> and we'll see you next time where we will cover the remainder of Chapter 3 for Remake. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>
Yeah, and there was there was a whole I think that Earthbound project um, with the what was it? No, it was a uh, Hilux too, where I mm. I imitated the the swinging chain. Yeah, the Xenogears scene. Ah, oh, I love it so great. That one was a video that I fully edited and fully completed, and I had to rebuild the entire thing in Premiere instead of After Effects because After Effects was just shitting the bed every single time. So this would be the perfect thing where we could just move one of those icebreakers to the next episode i think you know right yeah or or post content whatever we want to do so or bring it down to yeah whatever it takes to bring it down to five minutes exactly content in five but i feel like um i don't know if i want to go down this tangent but like the no never mind i don't even believe it okay you don't believe what i'm saying no, I do. I do believe what you're saying. Oh. I don't believe like the the counterpoint that I was going to make after I thought a second on it. Mm. AKA, I'm a dum dum. Isn't your boy four? He's two and a half. Oh, he's two and a half. Shit. <laughs> oh, I've got. I'm sorry. I've got another friend. That's never mind. Scratch that. I've got another friend that's four. All right, well, I don't have a no. I don't have a four year old friend. I have a friend who has a four year old. Yes. Boy. Excuse I me. I figured. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had a four year old friend since I was four. I pr- actually, I probably didn't have friends, four-year-old friends for either. <laughs> you, you, oh my god! You had siblings roughly your age, so I did. I did have. I did have uh, my sister by then. Mine are all ten years older than me. So, so in that same way of like seeing symbols and not knowing what they meant, my dad watched the History Channel a lot when I was a little kid, and I don't even know if it was the History Channel back then. It was some sort of channel. And I'd always see these images. I never knew what was going on, but I'd see these old black and white images of tanks rolling through towns, warfare, stuff like that. And I, I loved tanks. I, I liked Mike. I had the micro machines for like tanks and airplanes and all that stuff. I wanted to be in the Air Force as a kid, right? But so I go to school, and I'm in art class, and they're like. We're having a free drawing day. Draw whatever interests you. And so I drew a picture of a tank blowing up buildings, right? (laughs) Oh, oh, it gets better. It gets better, right? Okay. And what do I put on the side of that tank? Oh, no. But a symbol that I see regularly in all the footage. I put a fat ass swastika on the side of the fucking tank because I don't know what that means as like a six year old. I just know that I see it all the time on the TV when my dad's watching his history shows and my teacher had to like pull me aside and be like, (laughs) he's probably like shitting himself. Like I've got a fucking neo-Nazi in my class. What the fuck? (laughs) But he had to pull me aside and be like, this is really, really bad. Like you're, you're just so in love with this picture you drew of a Nazi tank demolishing cities as a six year old. Like what the fuck is this parent teaching their kids? And so I think there was probably a discussion they had with my parents. I don't really remember how it all worked out, but I do remember essentially being told like the swastika is bad. Do not draw it anywhere for any reason anymore Mm -hmm. and i was like okay i got it but that was a very formative memory of like i had to be knowing the schools and that i went to or whatever i had to be like six because i remember that school nate i got a i got a story like that for you too go for it when i was in 
grade school, we had to do this book report. And it was on this book that I forget what it was called, but this, but the characters are animals. It was about a mongoose and, uh, and some snakes. And, um, but the book report wasn't about the book. It was about like a creative fiction of, it would be, it was a creative fiction or interpretation of, of the events that would have happened at the end of the book. And it was completely, it was just a matter of creative writing really. And, yeah. um, and the snake's names were Nag and Nagina, I think something like that. And sure. I, and, and mine was about like the, the family of snakes that they would go on to make. And they had some babies and, um, <laughs> and, and I'm thinking of like, okay, so the names, like one's named Nag, one's named Nagina. Like what would their, what would their children be named? And, um, I named one of them, one of the, one of the snake babies names, uh, was. And we're going to put a big beep. We're going to, we're going to not even tread that territory. You're going to put yeah, a big well, I, ass. I, uh, yeah, that's, that's insane. Yeah. Like, and I presented it to the, to the class and the teacher hard stopped me in the middle of the presentation. Cause it wasn't just a, like I presented it. I did it in mm -hmm. front of the class. I didn't just turn it in. And, um, <laughs> she said that that was wrong. And, and I knew that it was a bad word, but I knew that the context wasn't, wasn't mean i wasn't using it i wasn't i wasn't using it as a means to to be harassing you know and so i, th yeah, I thought yeah. like in, in my brain i thought that was it was acceptable because everyone knew that i wasn't using it in that manner but but she was saying like no you you can't use that whatsoever mm -hmm. and yeah. uh and so i feel you man i, I feel you and your little tank thing i That's still yeah and my i still think that like i have these thoughts of that teacher is probably like a 75 year old man 80 year old man and he's just thinking about how there's a little like a grown-ass nazi running around now but he he did everything he could he was the kindest most wonderful mm -hmm. most caring art teacher in the world but mm -hmm. ultimately there's just going to be nazis in the world and he met one <laughs> I want to go to him and be like, dude, I'm not a Nazi. It's okay. Don't worry about it. But I can't. Better to move on. Yeah, for sure. I have a lot of those moments of like one little fuck up from the past. I still worry about like, they still think I'm that, that person still thinks I'm a complete pervert or that person still thinks that I'm a murderer or, or a cannibal or something, you know? <laughs> cannibal because i said one word wrong a depraved and, freak yeah yeah anyway anyways tangent of tangents